much for your word that is truth. We thank you, Lord God, for the freedom that we have in your presence. We thank you, Lord, because we know that you are here in this place, and we just pray that you would speak to us, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church, and we pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified in these next few moments as we hear your word, Father God. We pray this all in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, Amen. maybe seated in the presence of the Lord. If you need an outline, can you raise your hand really quickly? We want to make sure everybody gets an outline. Just keep your hand up for a moment so that way you get it. Outlines are important. Number one, you can follow along with me in the beginning of the sermon, so you'll be able to get that part. Um, the second reason why these outlines are so important is because it allows you to um, answer some questions that are written down there. It allows you to write down some good notes for you, and you can take the sermon with you. You can meditate on the scriptures. You can also utilize this, as we talked about. Um, or I, I always remind you, we have our Connect Life groups, and we used to utilize these outlines to have discussions so we could discuss the sermon, but we don't do that any longer. Nonetheless, it's a good opportunity for you to take what you learn, and that way you can help disciple and help someone else grow based upon what you are learning in the scriptures. And so important for you to keep those outlines. And I don't know about you, um, but sometimes I forget things, just sometimes, amen? And it makes it a little bit easier when I write stuff down for me to go back and reference whatever it is I'm trying to remember. And so we are continuing in our series, The Real Jesus. And we started last week dealing with the, um, the trial of Jesus. This is after he's prayed, after he has um, lived this perfect life, after he has communicated clearly who he is, and then we come to this place in the scripture where now Jesus is being tried, and Jesus is about to be crucified, and so next week we'll go into the crucifixion of Jesus. But this week we're dealing with the trial, and the title of this sermon is Tried and True, and, it is that, and that is because that is what Jesus was. He was definitely tried and true, and so the first paragraph in your outline, Jesus has been on trial before the Jews, and so remember, um, Judas betrayed him and Jesus comes under the trial and he goes to the different Jewish leaders and they, they have a trial with him. If you look at the other scriptures or the other gospels, you can see a better picture of the other parts of the trial as well. Um, Jesus has been on trial before the Jews and after many false witnesses couldn't get their stories together, Jesus finally confessed that he was the son of God. You can see that clearly in Matthew 27 and Mark chapter 14 and satisfied the religious leaders' blasphemy accusation, which was a grounds for death. Now I want you to get something. When you think about what I just said right here, right, you can just skim past that and be like, let's move on. But I want you to think about this for a moment. This trial was the worst trial that anyone could have ever been on. Are you hearing me? The reason why I say this is because, first of all, they took him in the middle of the night, which was unheard of. You never went to someone's house. I mean, I know nowadays, you know, like you see raids on television, they usually happen when? At night, when everybody's not paying attention, they're not thinking anyone's coming, and that's when these raids happen, right? But here's the deal. They came and got Jesus. They betrayed him in the middle of the night, and so they took him on a trial. You're not supposed to do stuff like that at night. That's the first issue with this trial. The second thing is, when they finally bring him to trial before all of the Jewish people, they were trying trying to find an accusation against him. And what the scriptures tell us in the other areas of scripture is that they could not find an accusation that agreed. And even when two people agreed, even their words didn't make sense together. This is the worst trial ever. And so after all of those lies, you know what Jesus does? Jesus throws him a bone and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm the son of God. Go ahead, kill me. Are you hearing me? This is the graciousness of Jesus, right? Even when people are acting foolish and can't fulfill God's will because they just can't get it together, what does he do? I'm going to help you out. 
So for his own death, he had he he literally, he literally, in all senses, he had to put himself to death. If Jesus would have just stood shut, guess what would have happened? We wouldn't be talking about him today. Are you hearing me? Because he wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to crucify him. So Jesus communicates that he's the son of God. And so now he blasphemes, you know, according to them. And so they're able to bring him to death. And so we see here in the second part, there's a second paragraph here. We see here in the second part of Jesus' false trial, because that's what it was, that Jesus remains tried and true and was sentenced to, just, to death unjustly, however perfectly in the will of God. We must remember, and I've said this before, sometimes God allows that which he hates, anything sinful, to bring about the thing that he loves, anything righteous. Are you here? In the midst of this trial that was false, in the midst of this trial that was terrible, in the midst of all of it, God's will was being worked out. God's will was being accomplished. And so last paragraph here, as we reflect on this final part of Jesus' trial, we can rejoice that our Savior remained true to the Father to the end, and we benefit from his faithfulness. Amen? We can rejoice in this. And so here's the big idea, real short. I think that the shortest big idea that I have had in a long time. Listen to me now. Our sinfulness Put Jesus on the cross. That's a good idea, huh? Big idea. Our sinfulness put Jesus on the cross. Small but true. And the reason why I do this, because as I was looking at these scriptures, as I was meditating on the scriptures, you know, it's real easy for us when we read the Bible to be, to, to, to want to be the hero of the story, right? For example, we read the book of, you know, we read the book of 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel, um, where a guy by the name of David, he slays Goliath. How many of y'all want to be David? Come on, raise your hand. Be honest now. Be honest. Everybody wants to be David, man. I mean, come on, man. I, come on now. Y'all are like, ah, oh, just a couple of y'all. Everybody's hand should have went up, okay? Especially every man's hand in this place, okay? Because me, I, when I was a little kid, my grandmother, she was the one who used to read the Bible to me. And I promise you, every single night, she would ask me what story you want me to read. And I would tell her, Grandma, read David and Goliath. And so I remember her laughing one day and say, okay, we're going to read David and Goliath. Why? Because I wanted to be David, right? I wanted to be the one that slayed that big giant. We always want to be the hero of the story. But now let me ask you this. How many of you want to be the villain? How many of y'all say, I want to be Goliath? Right? I want to be the one that is defeated, right? I want to be the bad guy in the story. And here's the thing that I want you to realize is that when we read this story here, there is one hero in every story. Can I tell you something? David is not the hero of David and Goliath. Are you here? You know who the hero is in David and Goliath? It's God Almighty. God is always the hero. The problem is we want to be the hero and don't allow God to be the hero. Hello. And so what happens to us is that when we look at this story here, we see a hero. That is Jesus. He is the only hero in the story. But there are some bad guys in this story. And you want to know what I think we need to realize is that instead of pointing the finger at those bad guys, we need to look in the mirror and say, I am that bad guy. Because it's easy for me to pass the buck and say, you know what, yeah, she's bad. Oh, yeah, he's bad. Mm -hmm. He needs Jesus for sure. It's easy for me to do that stuff. It's easy for you to do that stuff. But when we really look at the scriptures in the light of the truth of the full scope of the gospel, which is that all men are born sinful, then we have to come to terms with something. See, sometimes that bypasses us. Like we forget that we are all sinful by nature, that we were born into sin. We forget that. And we want to look at everyone, everyone else's sin and say, man, those Pharisees were some messed up people, man. They're over here. They got a fixed trial. They couldn't even do the trial right. Like, they're terrible. But what I want you to get is that we are the ones that put Jesus on the cross. 
We weren't standing there. No, we weren't. We weren't even thought of in, in, the, in, in, in the sense of, you know, like I said before, we weren't even a possibility yet. But the reality is in the mind of God, we had already what? We, are, we have already committed sins against God. And for those sins is what Jesus dies for. And so what I want you to see is some stuff here. And the first thing is, and, 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 I, and I want you to know this. I, I'm just going to forewarn you. This is going to be pretty depressing as we go through this. Hello. I don't know, you know, how excited you're going to be, but I do want you to know that there is hope in the gospel. Amen? There is hope, but I want you to see this, and, and I hope that the weight of this really sits on your heart for a moment, because when this sits on our hearts for a moment, then we receive this good and glorious news that we'll talk about in a moment. Then all of a sudden, worship changes, our lifestyle changes, because what? Because we've worn the weight of what it means to be a sinner before a holy and righteous God. So the first thing I want you to get is this. Say, our hearts deceive us into believing we are more righteous than we are. Our hearts deceive us into believing that we are more righteous than we are. Our hearts deceive us. See, we walk around, like I said, it's real easy, man. I can look at someone else's sin and say, man, I'm not that bad. Hello, somebody. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know all of us in this room probably have said, I'm not as bad as. You put whoever at the other side of that sentence, at the end of that sentence, we've all said that. Well, I'm not as bad, you know, I'm not as bad. I'm not as bad. You know, are you, I mean, I've had conversations, right, with plenty of people, right? I've had conversations with plenty of folks that they are just given, they really want to prove their righteousness. They really want to say, well, you know, I'm not killing anyone, right? I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not doing anything, you know, that's, that's affecting anyone else. Mm -mm, not before God. See, before God, we all, this is, this is the reality. The reality is that our hearts, our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts deceive us into believing we are more righteous than we are. Can I tell you what I believe is one of the, if not the greatest sin that man commits against God? It is that of self-righteousness. It is the sin of self-righteousness. It is the sin of, of, of being that person who believes that you are righteous all in and of yourself. Hello. I looked at the word self-righteous and, and, and um, a couple of different definitions of it or different places in the, in, in the uh, Merriam-Webster, you know, when you look at it, it says, having or showing a strong belief that your own actions, opinions, etc., are right and other people's are wrong. Hello, somebody. Did you hear? Let me, let me read that again. I know you need to hear that again. Having or showing a strong belief that your own actions, opinions, etc., are right and other people's are wrong. Wait a second, that's self-righteousness? Well, that's according to uh, Merriam-Webster. Hello, that's what it says there. Convinced, here's the second part of the definition, convinced of one's own righteousness, especially in contrast with the actions and beliefs of others. And so then you go to um, the dictionary.com, and it means confident of one's own righteousness, especially when smugly moralistic and intolerant of the opinions and behaviors of others. Confident of our own righteousness. When we walk around believing that we are righteous in and of ourselves, when we walk around believing that we are good apart from God, that is what self-righteousness is. It is not saying that I cannot do good things, because here's the thing. We'll get the argument, if you have enough conversations with people who don't know Jesus, they will talk about, well, people that don't know God, they do good stuff. And I would say yes. Some people would say they don't. What I would say is that the way that we measure good is different than the way God measures it. Hello. 
Because when we look at good, it's got to be morally pure. It's got to be morally righteous. It has to be absolutely perfect. There can't be a blemish in it for it to be equal to God's goodness. Equal to God's goodness. That is what it, that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying that we have a self-righteousness. We start to believe that we are righteous in and of ourselves. That is an issue. And what you see with these Pharisees, if you look at the first verse, look at verse 28. I want you to see what I mean by them and that their hearts deceive them. Look what, they, look what happens here. It says, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning, but they, now listen to this, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Did you hear that? You hear the irony in that? Okay, let, let, me, let, me, let me break it down for you just in case it's still, it's still too early for you. I know it's almost 12 o'clock, and then you may, may, may still be sleeping. I don't know, but here's the thing. They just finished falsely accusing Jesus. There is murder all up in their hearts. They are destined to do something that is wicked and sinful, and they're saying, I'm not going to step there because I don't want to be unclean. Are you hearing what's happening here? Okay, this is where the deceit comes in. The deceit is that they were like, yo, we got to be holy. We can't, we can't step into that place because if we step over there, and what the prayer term was it, was, it was an area where the Gentiles were. And so they wanted to partake of the Passover meal, right? Who's their Passover? It's Jesus, the one they're about to crucify. Hello. Want say that again? It was a holy killing, right? Here's the thing. They were like, nah, man, we, we, we don't want to defile ourselves. You know, it's like that person, you know, it's like that person. I I, there's none of you in here like this, but it's like that person who's got a filthy mouth all week long, who acts like unrighteous all week long, who does all kind of nastiness all week long. But on Sunday, all of a sudden, you don't drop an F-bomb until after church. Because all morning, you know, you got, you got to be holy because when it comes time to sing, you know what I'm saying, you want to make sure you don't feel bad, you know what I'm saying. You, you want to make sure you don't look at anything you shouldn't look at. You're, you Listen, you're trying to be holy with husband and wife on the way to church, Man, no arguments. I mean, you are trying to be righteous, but all week long you were living like, mm -hmm. our hearts deceive us. We start to think that we're more righteous than we are. That is the reason why Jesus had to die. We see, we can give glory to him because if he wouldn't have died, then guess what? We wouldn't have any hope. Hello, somebody. Our hearts deceive us. These guys were there, and they show us how blinding self-righteousness can be. Let's continue reading that. I just want to point out to you just you know, some more things here. And it says, <clears throat> Pilate comes to them. Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, mind you, they just said they wouldn't step into this area. He says, and they answered him and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Now, hold on a second. Time out. What evil did Jesus do? So now they're lying, right? Okay, but they don't want to be undefiled. Verse 31, then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful, hold on a second, for us to put anyone to death. Wait, 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 time out, time out. Hold on, wait a second. You guys don't want to step into the praetorium. You guys don't want to be undefiled, and yet you want to break the law and put someone to death here. Hello. Right? You want to do things. And in verse 32, it says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying what death we would die. And so here's the thing. We must come to terms with the reality. When we look at this, we must come to the terms with the reality that our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord and that we all, say we all, equally need a righteousness not of our own. 
You see, the beauty of this, when I look at this, you see, because when I allow myself to be the villain in the story, right, when I allow myself to be the one who put Jesus on the cross, when I allow myself to be the one who is, who is being deceitful, when I allow myself to be the bad guy here, right, we don't want to do that, but when I allow myself to be that, what I realize is that my righteousness is always tainted by something, right? My righteousness is always tainted by my will, by my agenda, by the things that no one else sees and that only God sees, and so I come to the point that I realize that I need a righteousness that is not of my own, right? I need a righteousness that is outside of myself. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our hearts, our hearts. deceive us deceive into believing. Deceive. Man's opinions matter more than God's truth. Our hearts deceive us into believing man's opinions matter more than God's truth. Let's continue reading here. Let's look at <clears throat> verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you rightly say that I am a king. For this reason I was born. For this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, look at this, I find no fault in him at all. Now, you got to mark those. It goes on to say, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. He was also a murderer. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Okay, so now he found no fault in it, but he beats Jesus. I don't even get that. I'm like, what on earth did he do? But anyway, he beats him, okay, so he gets a beating for free. And verse 2 says, <clears throat> And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know again that I, that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when, when, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for again I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. 
Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and, to, and, and power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could, not, you, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered, who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Our hearts deceive us into believing man's opinion matter more than God's truth. What we see here is that Pilate had opportunities to release Jesus. He actually said three times, and I, and, I, and I pointed them out to you as we went through there. He said three times he found no fault in Jesus. This trial is such a great example of how Jesus was tried and true and that he submitted to the death of crucifixion for us perfectly innocent and blameless. Now, I want you to know, they, 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 they accused Jesus of a bunch of stuff, and all of the things that Jesus was accused of were lies. But here's the thing. We see a beautiful picture here, because the first thing that we point out is that Pilate, you know, we'll look at Pilate. The first thing we see here is that Pilate 100% knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong. The Jews brought no substantial evidence against Jesus for him to be crucified. And yet, Pilate, instead of standing his ground and saying, you know what, I'm going to release this guy you guys go deal with him how you want to he went ahead and he gave into the pressure he gave into the peer pressure around him are you here he gave into the pressure of the culture that was around him. He gave into the pressure of those who were going through, who were experiencing, you know, their, their jealousy and their envy. What they had against Jesus wasn't that Jesus was an evildoer, is that they were envious of him. They were jealous of him. That was the motivation of their heart. And so they had issues. And see, here's the thing for us. We have to decide if we're going to be like Pilate or if we're going to be how we should be, which is the type of people that stand up for the truth no matter what. You see, here's another picture that we see here. We see this guy by the name of Barabbas, and I want you to get this because I said, you know, we, we should see ourselves as the bad guys in the story. And what I want you to see is this beautiful picture of the gospel and Barabbas being released instead of Jesus. Because what? Because we are all Barabbas. I know you don't want to admit that you're a robber, but you know, I, I always have to ask the question, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want you to incriminate yourself. But here's the thing. I know y'all stole something once in your life. Hello, somebody. I know you did. I know you don't want to admit it. I know you want no one in this room to know that you stole something. But the fact of the matter is, we've all stole something, right? But that's not what makes us, you know, Barabbas. You know what his name means? His, his, his name literally means son of a father or son of a master. And can I tell you something? We are all born under what? A master. And that master is who? That master is the enemy. And that master is what? That master is sin in our lives. Every one of us, when we're born, we are born into sin, right? And because we are born into sin, we are born as as slaves to sin. This is what the scriptures teach us, right? We are dead in our trespasses and sins before Jesus enters into our lives. And so what we find here is that we can rejoice and we can thank God for what? We can thank him. We should be praise-filled that God delivered us from the consequences of our sin heritage. Hello. 
See, because we all should have inherited sinful, you know, consequences in our lives, and yet God has been merciful. God has been gracious to us, and so we can rejoice in that. And so ultimately, here's the thing. What led Pilate to deliver Jesus to crucifixion was his fear of man. Look at verses 12 through 13 with me, and we'll wrap this point up here. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Look at that. Pilate was looking for ways to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out saying, now look at these words of manipulation. If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a, a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew is Gabbatha. Look what happens. He was seeking for a way to let go of Jesus. And you know what? He was like, nah, man. He said he was going to lose his job. Are you getting this? He was going to lose his position. He was going to lose his prominence. He was going to lose his authority if he allowed Jesus to continue to proclaim that he was king. And so you know what he was like? You know what? My position is more important than the truth. My job is more important than the truth. My popularity, my family is more, than the, is more important than the truth. You see, one, one, one of the things that we have to come to terms with is are we going to be like this guy Pilate was or are we going to say, no, no matter what, we're going to stand for the truth because as believers, we must stand for the truth of Scripture and what is right, which is always supported by Scripture, no matter who it offends or what it costs. You see, if he would have been, if he would have been offending, right, he, would, he obviously was going to offend the Jews if he didn't crucify Jesus, and he should have been willing to offend them. He was obviously going to offend Caesar if he let Jesus walk around in his mind, and you know what he should have said? You know what, Jesus is, Jesus is this king, and you know, I'm not going to go ahead and just dishonor him because I'm afraid of Caesar or because I'm afraid to lose my job or afraid to lose my position. And here's what I'm saying. Look, I'm not telling you to go lose your job intentionally. What I'm telling you is... Stand for Jesus no matter what. Amen. What I'm saying is stand up for the truth no matter what. What I'm saying is don't let anyone silence the truth in your life. Don't let anyone make you think, oh, man, you know, I can't stand up for Jesus. Be wise. The Bible says be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. In other words, you may not want to stand up in the middle of, you know, if you, if you work on a, on a floor with a bunch of people, you may not want to stand up in the middle of the floor at, you know, the peak hour of your work day and just begin to start preaching. That may not be what you want to do. Hello, somebody, right? That might not be wise, but on your, on your break time, when you're standing outside the building and someone has a conversation with you, guess what? That's free ground. Hello, somebody. You can communicate the truth, right? You can communicate about the things that need to be communicated. You need to be wise. And don't worry about what it's going to cost you. But make sure that you're willing to stand up for the truth because that's what Jesus, um, that's what Pilate should have done in the face of these oppressors and these people lying and trying to kill Jesus. Number three here. Repeat this after me. Our hearts, Our hearts deceive us into believing there is freedom outside of Jesus. Our hearts deceive us into believing there is freedom outside of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> I have four, four, four areas here that I want you to think about for a moment. Because just like the Jews, we all seek freedom outside of Jesus. Look at verses 14 through 16. It says, now <clears throat> it was the preparation day of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, listen to this, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. 
So they took Jesus and led him away. Now look at what they do. I want you to realize this. The Jews, <clears throat> they had been waiting for Jesus to come. I want you to understand this. They hated Rome. With everything that was in them, they hated Rome because Rome was what? Rome was ruling. Rome had taken everything. Rome was in control. And so they didn't want any, they, they didn't want Rome to be king over them. That's why they came to Jesus. Remember when they asked Jesus the question about paying taxes? You remember that question? You know what that question was about? It was because they wanted to say, you shouldn't pay taxes to Rome. Because what? Because we're not Romans. They didn't want to pay taxes. They didn't want to pay honor. They didn't want to give glory at all to Rome. They didn't want to respect Rome. They hated Rome. You know what they did? Because they hated Jesus more. You know what they said? They said, nah, man, we'll go ahead and we'll call, we'll call Caesar our king. We'll, we'll, we'll go under bondage to someone else rather than submit to the one who can liberate us. You see, in our lives, we do the same thing. We do the same thing in all kinds of areas. So I'm going to hit you hard in a moment here, right? So check this out. We do this in our diet. Hello, somebody. Right? And, and, and I'm, I'm going to go there, right? So in our diets, you know what we do? Look what we do. We look, for, we look for the next fad or the next fitness expert. Hello, somebody. Instead of repenting of our gluttony. Oh, my goodness and unwillingness to eat right and exercise, putting our faith in Jesus. Hello, somebody. I know you don't want to hear that. Is gluttony a sin? Yes, absolutely. Does it mean you can't have a cheat day? Well, our expert Alex said you can have a cheat day. Amen? So <laughs> I will utilize him, and I will say, yes, you can have a cheat day. The problem is when every day is a cheat day and you have one holy day. Hello. Right? The problem is when you have one good meal a day, and that's the one that you didn't eat anything. Hello. And every other meal of the day was bad. That's the issue. Right? And so here's the thing. We want somebody, you know, somebody, you know, I mean, back in the day, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to say, you know, back in the days you had your experts back then, you know, and, and as time progresses, every generation has their experts and the one with the next best thing. And you know what? The Bible tells us to repent of gluttony. The Bible tells us to take care of the temple. The Bible tells us that exercise is profitable somewhat. Hello, somebody. All right? All right. right? And so the scriptures already talk to us. All we have to do is embrace the word of God and trust Jesus and say, God, this is what your word already says. So I put my faith in you. Okay, we got the diet thing. In our finances, hello, somebody. Amen. We look to the next guru or, 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 or government program, hello, somebody. Instead of simply repenting of our greed and poor stewardship and unwillingness to live according to biblical standards and recognize God as owner of it all, hello. For some of you just went through Dave Ramsey, look, I think Dave Ramsey's a great guy. I think Dave Ramsey has some good stuff to offer. But, what, but you know what makes him so good? It's because he is teaching you what the Bible already says. He is teaching. And you know what? I believe you utilize stuff like that and you learn. But here's the thing. Can, I tell, can, can we just be honest now? Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all went through Dave Ramsey the first time we did it? Come on, throw those hands up real quick. Just real quick. Throw them up, throw them up, throw them up. Glory to God. Listen, I put my hand up first. And can I tell you something? Because of my unwillingness, I'm going to embarrass anyone, but because of my own unwillingness to live exactly by those principles that are there, listen, I'm still trying to get the debt snowball going. I'm still trying to get all of those things happening. You know why? Simply because I'm like, oh, I, you know, I, I, can, I can spend a little bit here. I, can, I don't have to be so tight. Listen, the bottom line is you don't need another expert. You need to live by the principles. There is freedom in who? In Jesus, 
right? Okay, so we got our diets wrong. We got our finances all jacked up. Now look at this. In our relationships, hello, somebody. I told you I was going to hit you hard now. In our relationships, we look to Dr. Phil, Dr. Spock, or Dr. Dobson for the answers that are clearly found in the scriptures. Instead of repenting of our selfishness, our pride, and declaring our inability to the Lord and trust Jesus with our relationships. Hello. Listen, I'm all good counseling. I love to counsel people. I love to sit down and talk to them about their lives and their marriages and their children and, you know, their relationships with, you know, with other people. I love all that stuff. But can I tell you something? You have a counselor, and that is called the Holy Spirit. And if you and I will simply, now here's the problem. This is why you need human counselors in your life. Because many of us will be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to listen to the Lord. And you ain't praying. Yo, all I need is the Lord, but you ain't in his word. Hello? You're not seeking his principles. You're not seeking his counsel. You're not seeking his direction. And so you have a counselor in your life to help you do what? To help you apply the truth of scripture. Amen. You see, but we try to find freedom outside of Christ like there is some other way. There is no other way. Jesus said he is the way. Amen. All right. And lastly, in our spirituality, right? Well, here we go. We look for the next best church, the next best preacher, the best seller, et cetera. We're looking for something next. We're looking for that person who can stir us up. Hello, somebody. Make us feel something rather than turning to Jesus, repenting of our inconsistencies in our spiritual disciplines. That means prayer, fasting, scripture. Yes, I said fasting. That's a spiritual discipline. That's why you hate it so much. Um, scripture reading, witnessing, our compromise with sin and expectation for others to do what only God can do for us. You want to know why the church has allowed, has allowed mysticism in and allowed all of this feeling good stuff and all of this, I, I told you I won't call it gospel anymore, but all of this prosperity garbage in the church is because it makes you feel good. It makes you sense something. It makes you feel something. And everybody, listen, I, I don't know about anyone else, but I know I, I can talk about myself. When I walk into a church, y'all, I want to feel something. Hello. I'm just saying. I'm not lying to you. I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm exempt from what I just said. When I walk into a church, you know, and I, and I go to a place, but you know what I can tell you? Let me tell you something right now. I don't wait for the music ministry to make me feel something. I don't wait for the pastor to make me feel something. The moment, listen, can I tell you something that I hate more than anything else? I hate going to churches that they make the pastor sit on the altar. I hate it. You know why? It's not because I have a problem sitting on the altar. It's because it is expected that the pastor sit down, right? He gets in this seat, and during the whole worship and praise, he's supposed to sit down like this, and he's supposed to fold his hands. He's supposed to be real, like, dignified. Listen, are you crazy? We're in the middle of worship and praise i cannot sit down during worship and praise i sit there because i'm behind a piano and i can't i don't have four hands but if i had um you know four hands i would leave two over there and run around this church because what i'm not waiting on someone to make me feel something i know the gospel i don't need you to have the best music or sing my favorite tune all i need to know is that you're singing about jesus and i'm going to connect with that and so i can go to a place where someone would say that they're dead and i'm not feeling dead you know why because i have a living relationship with a living god and so i'm not dependent upon you Hey, look, I don't care. Sometimes, hey, I'll tell you straight up. Sometimes I close my eyes because I look at some of y'all and y'all are like looking around like, when is this going to be over? And I'm like, I want to lay hands on you right now. When is this going to be over? I'm going to sing for the next two hours, glory to God. But the thing is, I, I'm like, you know what? But I don't care. They don't want to get into it. I'm going to connect with Jesus because I know there's freedom in him. See, the thing is this, is that we're looking for someone to make us feel something when it is God that should move our hearts. I don't need someone to make me move or to make me jump or to make me shout. I do that all because God has done 
done something down deep in the depth of my soul. And so when we're looking for freedom, freedom is not found in the next fad, in the next guru, in the next this or that. Freedom is found in Jesus alone. And our hearts deceive us into believing, man, maybe there's freedom over there. Maybe there's freedom over here. No, there's freedom in one, and that is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That's where our freedom is found. You see, we must realize that our freedom is found in our allegiance to Jesus as King of Kings. Understand this. Chains break once we realize Jesus is the only chain breaker. Restoration happens once we realize Jesus is our only hope. But hear me. God offers us grace, but it's on his terms, not ours. All or nothing. Total surrender or it's not surrender. You see, we all want to embrace grace, and it sounds contradictory, but here's the deal. The deal is grace. It's, it's God's free. It's God's unmerited favor upon our lives. But can I tell you something? It's not our way. You can't have grace and continue to live in sin. Hello? You can't have grace and just continue to live how you want to live. You can't have grace and continue to be the person you want to be, and I'm not going to submit myself to God. I'm going to just submit a little bit. No, 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 that's not submission. Oh, I'm going to submit until. No, that's not submission. You submit for the rest of your life. The reason why, listen, I say this all the time. I don't do altar calls all the time. And you know why? I mean, I, I rarely do them, when, and especially when it comes to salvation. Because what I want you to get is this. It's not about you walking to an altar and saying a prayer, you know, and, and, and weeping. Look, I want to see all that. Yes, amen. But here's the thing. It's about you walking from this altar with the same heart you walk to the altar. Are you hearing me? It's about you walking out of this building and saying, I want to live for the glory and the honor of Jesus. And so if you're in this place and you're being convicted in your heart and you're realizing, man, my heart has been deceiving me, what I want you to know is don't wait for an altar call. Cry out to God and say, God, I need you to save me. God, I need you to deliver me. God, I want to accept the wonderful sacrifice that you made. Because here's the thing that I want you to get. The beauty of this is, the, and here's the bad news. We talked about the bad news. Let me give you the good news, right? Y'all want good? news i know y'all are depressed hello somebody i feel the depression in the room i want to deliver you from depression no prozac amen but here's the thing check it out here's 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 the thing is that all of this is the, the good news is that jesus willingly died for our sins what did he tell Pilate? Pilate was like don't you know i have the ability to release you or not and he's like man you have no authority except that which is given to you from above he was making it clear that no one was taking his life from him, but that he was giving his life. Remember what he said to Pilate earlier on? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, because if my kingdom was of this world, then guess what? Folks would be fighting for me right now. What was he saying? He was saying, look, he said, this is not what, I, I didn't come here in order to reign in this earth now. I came here to die in the place of all of those whose hearts would deceive them. Hello. I came to die in your place because when you have a deceived heart by sin, you are on your way to hell. But here's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is that Jesus died, and that way you don't have to spend an eternity in hell. That way I don't have to spend an eternity in hell. But I can have a relationship with him that is not based upon my good works because I hope you understand by now all of your good works fall short of what he requires. All of my good works fall short of what he requires. There is nothing that is good inside of me except what he puts inside of me. Are you here? And so what we have is this amazing news, and it shows us that even in the depth of the deceitfulness of our sinful hearts, God's plans of salvation are being worked out, even for his enemies who are guilty. Remember what Jesus says on the cross, and, 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 and he communicates this. The first words out of his mouth on the cross are what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
See, this is the beautiful side of the gospel. The beautiful side of the gospel is that God wants us to recognize our sinfulness, but he doesn't want us to grovel in it. Amen, somebody? God wants us to recognize that we are sinful, but he doesn't want us to just stay there and just bask in, oh, I'm such a horrible sinner. I'm so terrible. Walking around telling, I'm just, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just a wretch. I'm just, I'm, I'm worthless. That isn't what God wants. God wants you to know what? He died for you. He died to give you life and life abundantly. He died to add value, to add worth to who you are. He died to make you know that you are his son, that you are his daughter. He died to make you know that you are no longer his enemy, that if you put your faith and your trust in him, you are no longer on the opposing team. You are no longer separated from, separated from him in sin, but you have been reconnected to him by the precious and holy blood that he shed for you. And you are now in a relationship with him. You are now his child. He no longer remembers your sin. He threw your sin as far as the east is from the west. They'll never touch. And what he's saying is that the moment that you come to him and you trust him with your life, guess what? Your sins have been cast away. This is the beauty of the gospel that we serve, that, 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 we, that, that we receive as children of God. And by his spirit, he regenerates us, right? He grants us repentance. He regenerates us. He gives us a new heart, and he gives us a new identity with new affections. That's what he does for us. See, the beauty of the gospel is that. See, that's the reason why we get excited every week. Because what? Because he breathed new life into us. Amen? Because he's given us new hope, because he's given us a new heart, because he's given us new desires. And what we need to do, and the reason why we hear sermons like this is because, you know what, the reality is that all of our hearts, even though we've come to Jesus, they're still deceitful. Our hearts, our hearts still deceive us. See, I, I didn't say that you used to say, you know, you know, I'm not as bad as, because even as believers today, you still say, I'm not as bad as. You see? And so there's two groups of people in the room, right? There's the ones that know Jesus and the ones that don't. The ones, that have, the ones that have trusted in Jesus and if you trusted in Jesus, then you should be excited to know that God's spirit dwells in you and he wants to reveal to you and show you whenever your heart is deceiving you so you can do what? So you can repent of that sin. And if, you're a, and if you're not a believer in this room, you know what the beauty of it is? Is that God calls you into a relationship with him today to trust him and to walk with him. Amen? Stand to your feet and let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful for your grace. We are so grateful for your kindness toward us. And Lord God, we thank you this day, Lord God, because you are a great and mighty God. You are holy, you are righteous, you are pure. And Father God, we just come to you today, Lord, recognizing that, Father God, sometimes our hearts deceive us into making us believe that we are more righteous than we are. Father God, we, 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 we know, Lord God, that sometimes, Lord God, our hearts deceive us into believing, Lord God, that man's opinions are more important than yours, Heavenly Father. Lord God, and, and, and we just, we, we don't, we don't want to be deceived, Father God. Lord, we want to walk in the truth, my God. We want to walk in the clear understanding, Lord God, that you have called us out of darkness into a relationship with you, Father. That we, Lord God, have been brought into this relationship, not because of how good we are, but because of how good you are, Lord God. And so, Father God, today, Lord God, we want to honor you, Lord Jesus. We, we, we know that there is no freedom outside of you. And so, God, we thank you because we have been set free by the precious and holy blood of the Lamb today. Father God, I pray for those in this place, Lord God, that may not know you. I just ask you, God, that you would draw them unto you. 
that you would give them a repentant heart, my God. Father, that they would cry out to you, Lord God, with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and that from this moment on, Lord God, that they would begin a relationship with you, Lord God, by your grace, my Lord. I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray right now that they would sense your love upon them, and Lord God, that they would know that they are loved by you, my God. Father, that they would begin a walk with you and that their lives would reflect your grace and your glory, God, from this day forward. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place, my God, that are walking with you, God. May you strengthen us in our devotion. May you strengthen us in our relationship. May you strengthen us in our walk with you, my God. Fill us with your grace and your power, Lord God. And we pray all of this in the good name of Jesus. And someone said, Amen. come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.